Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Let's jump into our new series today. We're, go- we're starting a sermon series called The Blessed Life. Let me, just, let me just see how honest you are. How many of you um, want to have a blessed life? All right, because first service, they were like a little apathetic with that, right? So like, think about it. If you get married, when you walk down the aisle and you're standing with that person face-to-face, looking at them, in love with them, you're not like, I hope this is mediocre. <laughs> right? right? Like, it, I see marriages, like, I'm just going to shoot for the middle. Like, some of them are really bad, some of them are good. Let's not get carried away. We just want a middle-of-the-road marriage. Everybody's goal is what? I want to have a good marriage. I want to be blessed, right? You ever start a business and you're like, I hope this fails? Let's hope this is bad, right? When I started this church, I wasn't like, you know what? I want to start a, a mediocre church. I want to have like 100 people in here and we'll just play kumbaya and, you know, do like potlucks. If you've never been to a potluck, it's because you haven't been to church for very long, but that's where people bring food from their house. You don't know where it comes from. More than likely, a cat licked a spoon somewhere that you're eating, right? <laughs> I don't do potlucks. Like if I don't know, I'll be out and be like, who made this? They'll be like, I'll find out. I don't eat it. And so um, I don't judge people, but I'm smart. And so, um, right? But you, you don't start, I didn't start a church, like, I want to have a mediocre church. My prayer is, God, I want you to bless this church. I want you to do what, what, what only you could do. You go to school, you want to be blessed. You, anything in your life, any endeavor you start, you, you, if you're honest, you, you want to live in, in, a, in a blessed life. And so I, I want to work you through um, what that looks like money-wise, money-wise. Okay, and so um, there's certain things you're not supposed to talk about in church, am I right? Right, like uh, we don't really talk about politics in church. It's kind of makes problems, right? Like, uh, and so you're pretty careful with that. Like, uh, church, you don't talk about sex, right? You're not supposed to talk about, even though the Bible talks about it, right? There's certain things. Like, hey, in church, you're supposed to talk about things like prayer. How many would say prayer? Something you should talk about prayer? No? Okay, we probably shouldn't. We probably should help you with that, right? Prayer is an important thing, right? How many of you think we should talk about faith in church? Faith. Like faith is, a, is a, it's kind of an important topic. How about heaven and hell? It's probably in the Bible somewhere, right? Okay. All of those things I just talked about, faith, prayer, heaven, hell, all important in the Bible. All, all crucial, like all significant. All of them are spoken about in Scripture through the 66 books, Old Testament, New Testament, uh, 39, 27, 39 books, 20. All of them are spoken about about 500 times in Scripture, Faith, there's about 500 passages, references, prayer, 500, um, heaven and hell, roughly about the same. Okay, money, money in the Bible is spoken about over 2,000 times. Okay, so when people, when people are like, so when, anytime you talk about money, there's going to be somebody, let me just, there's going to be somebody that says this. All the church ever does is talk about, they just want my money, Right? And uh, I, I just want to tell you, the last time we talked about money was 2013. Some of you weren't even in puberty yet. <laughs> the last time I did a sermon series on it. But how many of you would say, as a pastor, you are required to teach all Scripture? The Bible says all Scripture is God-breathed. All, all Scripture. Even the parts you don't like. 
I'll take a side of faith and a heavy dose of prayer and give me some heaven. But don't you dare talk about those things that you're not supposed to talk about in church. And here's the problem. When I don't talk about it in church to you, you get educated and taught by the world, which leads to destruction and grief and sorrow. But think about it. We don't talk about sex ever. In fact, I might do, I might just go. I might go money, sex, politics, just for fun, right? Like just, we'll just go. Right into the election, right? Just piss off everybody. Right? Like I might just, but we don't talk about sex. But how many of you know uh, the Bible deals with sex? God made sex. He wasn't like shocked that Adam and Eve figured out how stuff works. Came back and was like, what are you doing? Right? He, he molded them. He made them to go together. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Google that, right? And so, um, like, we don't talk about it, but there's a whole, bi- a whole, a whole passage, a whole, a whole Bible uh, 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 book called Song of Solomon. It's literally all about sex. Like, I don't know if you ever read it. Like, I just wanted you to read it so you maybe, maybe knew somebody, like, it talks about sex in the Bible. Song of Solomon is a conversation be- between two people who are engaged, excited to get married, and then married, right? It takes you into their wedding night. They we're not praying, let me just tell you what the, and, and they're having this conversation back and forth, right? In one part it says, oh, that you would kiss me with the kisses of your mouth, for your love is better than wine. Then she says, my beloved is mine, and I am his, to which he says, how fair and pleasant you are, oh, loved one, delectable maiden. That's, that's, some, that's, some, that's good, right? And so he says, you are stately as a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters, Go ahead, write that down, somebody. I'm going to try that on my wife, right? Next Valentine's Day. I mean, it's, it's in the Bible, right? Like I, some, some teenager in here is like, <laughs> right? I want to highlight that. Where's that Bible playing at, right? And so I remember because I was that teenager. That's literally how I got through church. From 12 to 18, I read Song of Solomon. And so it's Bible. And so you, you, when you don't talk about what the Bible talks about, the world educates and so I, I want to I educate you on what the Bible talks about, uh, money, finances, uh, generosity, giving, tithing, stewardship, right? Uh, most of my sermon will be built around, my sermon for the next five weeks will be built around the, a book called The Blessed Life. Now I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, when I read this book 10 years ago, the first time I saw the title of The Blessed Life, I thought it was ridiculous. I'm 33 years old. I'm, I'm watching Christian TV, all right? They're selling holy water and a guy's on TV, uh, da, and give me money, da, and I'm preaching, da, and doing all that, and the organ's playing, and they're asking for money, and I'm trying to start a church for normal people, and I saw this book, and I'm like, that's a typical American book, right? The blessed life, huh? And somehow I got it in my, in my care, and I opened it up, and I started reading, and I'm not a reader at all, and I couldn't put the book down. I led our church through it in 2013. The reason our church is where it's at is because of this season from this book. There's a good chance you're sitting in a seat right now at both of our campuses that was purchased during the season of this, this book that we went through as a church where God, he took the spiritual lid off of our church and our finances. And he, I want that in my own life. He defines being blessed as, uh, it's really simple. He says, um, being blessed is having supernatural power working for you. I like that. Ha- having supernatural power that the, the power from heaven manifests on earth in your life. Now, let me just be honest. Let me just, the blessed life is not about you getting more. 
Some of you, are, you've been locked in, you're like, eh, never mind, right? The blessed life is about learning what Scripture teaches about money. Like, um, it's, it's about finding the joy of living to give and loving to share. In fact, watch what Scripture says in, in Acts 20. In everything I did, I showed you by, that by this kind of hard work, we help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is more blessed to give than what? Now, it doesn't say it's not blessed to receive. How many of you want? It's, when you get stuff, you're like, thank you, Right? Somebody wants to give me a car, I'll take it. I'm not going to turn it away. I don't want it, right? And so, right, somebody buys me a meal, somebody, a blessing from heaven comes. The Bible doesn't say it's not blessed to receive. Sometimes it feels good to receive. It says it's more, what? More blessed. That word blessed, if you study it in in, in the Greek, means happy, means content, means joy. You'll find more joy in, in your life when you begin to learn how to give than you will in receiving. And here's another thing I want you to learn as you go through this. I want you to learn from a very young age, some of you in your very first job, some of you, you just get a few bucks a week and you're already learning about money and how to handle money. And I want you to learn this from a young age. My dad taught me this, I've experienced this as a pastor, I've seen it in my own life, I see it in my church. And not only is it it a joy to give and a joy to share, it changes your life, but you can't outgive God. You, you cannot, you live with an open hand, you'll always live under a, 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 an open heaven. You close your hand to the things God sends you, and God can't get you anything else. You, you can't outgive God. Watch what scripture says in, in, in 2 Corinthians. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. That's an important one. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You see that word? And God is able to bless you abundantly. Why? He has a lot more than you have. There's a verse that says he owned a cattle on a thousand hill. I don't know what that means, but I'll wear that on a shirt. There's joy. And so here's the thing about it. If you can live with the spirit of, of your, your fine, because money, money is neutral. If you can live with, with, with the spirit of blessing in your life, supernatural power from heaven, the opposite is you can live under a curse spirit, uh, financially. And, and a curse, it just means to have supernatural power working against you. And so here's the thing about it. As we start to talk about finances, we're going to talk about some principles. Uh, next, we're going to look at the spirit of mammon. The Bible says you can't love both God and mammon. God and money. They're, they're, they're different. One, one promises happiness and, and, and contentment and security, right? Uh, the one, one promises can't come through. The other one says, I'll bring you that. I'll bring you happiness. I'll bring you security. We're going we're to take a look at that. The week after that, we're going to take a look at the word steward. How many of you, as I'm talking about money, it gets really tight in here? You know what I'm talking about? Your butt cheeks are like, ooh, right? You're just squeezing in, right? <laughs> You're just looking forward. Can he see me? Can he see me? Is he looking at me? Is he talking to me? Does he, is he going to try to get my wallet, right? And so, good thing I don't carry cash, right? You're all tight. In, 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 in the backside, and so, and you're like, this is mine. You ever have, you ever have a, a little kid, and, they, and you've bought them something, and they've said to you, as you've asked for it, it's what? And you're like, that's not yours. Your breath is not yours, right? And we do this all, all the time to God, and the Bible says that we are stewards, we're managers. We're, we're managers. In fact, in, in, in that welcome to church, and that Kia uses that word. 
She says, we're, we're just stewards of what God has is, is, is given us. And so that, that word steward, then we're going to take a look at the tithe. And then I want to teach you what's beyond the tithe, which is uh, the, the principle of multiplication, the principle of generosity in your life. And so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna open, o- open this up. And here's the thing about it. Um, knowing how much God can and wants to do in these next few weeks in your life, how he wants to bring blessing to you, I also know that Satan is beginning to work you over. Some of you, let's just, be, can I just be honest with you? Some of you are going to get really mad. You heard me say five weeks, you've already got your calendar out. You're like, it looks like he's going to be done right before Easter. I should probably go to church on Easter, right, because my Lord risen, rose from the dead that day, and so we should probably go, so I'll see you back here end of March, right? Like, I don't think I want to come here. Some of you are like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not I, I don't want to listen. This is going to offend me. Some of you mad. Some of you all, all of a sudden starting to feel a little bit overwhelmed and a little bit of fear. And I, I want you to get rid of all of that. I just want you to understand there is a war going on. There, there's God, God has a will and a purpose and a plan for your life. And on the flip side, Satan, your enemy, the Bible says he wants to kill, he wants to steal, and he wants to destroy. And so if God wants to bring freedom and God wants to bring blessing, then Satan, what does he want to do? He wants to bring imprisonment. He wants to bring a curse. He wants you to struggle. He, he, he wants you to, so let me, let me just, as we start talking about money right now, let me just give you a few things that I know before we start this series, here's where we're gonna, we're gonna build a foundation that I know that Satan's gonna do and I want you to remember these over the next four weeks because maybe, maybe not this week, maybe you're like, I'm good, right? Like you just said, but, but maybe three weeks from now, we start talking about an area where you're like, okay, I'm not ready for that. I want you to remember what, what, what we spoke about because here's exactly what Satan does during this time. Here's how he begins. When you talk to Christians specifically about money, here's how Satan begins to work. Here's the very first thing he does. The very first thing he does in, in your life when it's with money, he, begin, he begins to provide you with what I would call rock solid grounds or rock solid excuses or rock solid reasons or rock solid alibis like you just he gives you all of these just let me do rock solid justification right i'm justified in this he gives you he gives you that 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 i'm standing on a box in the middle like this is this this is i know this is it can't be for me like he doesn't understand my life he doesn't know what my, my financial situation is he doesn't know how much of a struggle that it is and so what is he going to do he's immediately going to begin to flood your mind with excuses when it comes to your finances what's an excuse an explanation offered to avoid blame and justify action to get you out of doing things. And here's the thing about it. How many of you are great excuse makers? Nobody? Okay. I haven't worked out one time in the new year. <laughs> Not one time. So I know some of you are shocked. You're like, how does he, how do you, how do you stay in good shape, right? Genetics. <laughs> this is amazing, right? And so... Not one time, not one time, I went to the gym, I went to the gym one time with my son at, in the YMCA, and I, I'm so out of shape, I just walked on the treadmill for a half an hour, called it a day, went and looked at Facebook, I was like, this is good. He, he said, you can't go with me anymore, Dad. I was like, I walked at a crisp 4.1 spade on a vertical, and he was like, that's not working out, and, and honestly, it, it hasn't been up to this point, but now it feels like that's exercise for a 44-year-old, and so, like, I haven't exercised one time, and here's why I haven't exercised one time, I told myself in December, when I also wasn't exercising, I said, when the new year hits, on the first Monday, because you can't start any other day besides Monday. Am I right? It gets past Monday. It's too long. You got to wait till next Monday. Right? Can't go on Sunday. That's the Lord's day. On the first Monday of the year, 
I'm going to the Y every day. I'm going to get a pass. I'm going to go to the Y. I'm going to get back in shape. I'm going to be a healthy dad. I'm going to do all these things. So first Monday of the year got here, I was on my couch. I was reading my Bible, right? On my couch, I had this little fluffy kind of fake fur pillow on my lap, and I was drinking my coffee. I was reading my Bible. It was 5.30 in the morning. I was going through the Bible, and I just got comfortable, and I just felt the Spirit of the Lord say, you need to soak here. You just need to soak. <laughs> you need to soak in God's presence, and I just felt I felt him say, just sit. Just sit in my presence. I even found a Bible verse, right? Be still and know that I'm Lord. Be still. So I didn't go. Then I can't go on Tuesday, because I didn't go on Monday. I can't go on Wednesday. I got to start next Monday. Next Monday gets around. I had a bad Sunday, man. The Eagles lost. I can't go. I can't go tomorrow. I can't go. I got to stay home and mourn. I got to be in ashes, right, and, and all that sackcloth and all that stuff. And so, and so here we are. We're in, the middle of, we're in the middle of February, and I had excuses every, every, literally every, every Monday. I'm going to find an excuse. I'm going to just promise you I'm going to find an excuse tomorrow. I already have planned it out, right? And so I'm gonna stand, and what happens? I'm, just, I'm, a, I'm a great excuse maker. And so this is, what, this is what Satan does. And, and the truth is, we, we do this all the time. Like, we, we, we think excuses are justification for disobedience. Like, they're, like, they're, like they are. Like, uh, Jesus was dealing with this back in, even in his day. Remember I told you, uh, he, he spoke, speaks in parables. And so, and what's weird about his parables is uh, not this one specific, but 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus shared in Scripture were about money. So it was a big deal to him, too. But here's one not about money, but it kind of relates to this, this point about excuses because you see the struggle with people. The Bible says when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. So Jesus tells this story. A certain rich man or a man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. So in the, in the, just so you know, parable, the man that's having the banquet is God. God has invited many guests. That's, that's, that, like, the Bible says it's not God's will that any should perish. That means if your heart's beating, God wants a relationship with you. The Bible says at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who have been invited, come for everything is now ready. Jesus is God's son. He came to the earth. He died on the cross. He said, it is finished. You don't have to work to get back to God. I've done all the work. All you need to do is repent of your sins, confess, and turn away from who you were and turn your life over to me. Trust me, follow me. I'll walk with you. I'll talk with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You are invited to the party. We do this every week, every Sunday. Hey, you should get saved. You should give your life to the Lord. Your life's not going anywhere. You need, and here's what, watch what the Bible says. The Bible says that he says, come, everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. First one said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another one said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Think about how dumb these excuses are, by the way. You bought a field and you bought five oxen, but you've never seen them? There's no Facebook marketplace. Right? We don't even do that. We don't see a car online just buy it. You go look at it. But they say, hey, I would come, but I first have to go to this field. And then, I love this next, next excuse. I, I would come to this, right? Watch what he says. I just bought five yoke of oxen. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. I'm kind of busy. Right? We do this all the time. Hey, you should serve. I know, but I, I'm so busy. I just did. I had a baby, right, two years ago. I'm just super busy. <laughs> You know how it is, right? I just had a baby, and it's just been a lot. And I just, it's just hard for me right now in this, in this season. I, I get it, but you're not any different than anybody else back in those rooms right now. Right? Just an, it's, just, it's just an excuse. 
It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just an excuse. He says, uh, oh, okay, the servant came back, reported this to the master, then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys and the towns and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Just go find people. Find people that aren't going to make excuses. So what, what happens in this moment? Let me, just, let me just give you some excuses that I know run through people's heads because I make them too. Talk about money, talk about giving, talk about generosity, talk about sowing and reaping, talk about being a steward, all that stuff. Excuses come, Satan loves them. Here, here's the first one. First thing you'll say is, I don't make enough. You know, I was glad when my dad taught me my first job I made $4.75 an hour. That is robbery. I worked eight hours on a Saturday. I used to walk home after taxes with like $29 a week. And my dad used to tell me, you need to tithe. And I would say, how are you going to take a poor man's $2.90 for your church, dad? What is it going to do? He said, it's going to do nothing. It's $2.90. The point is what it's going to do in your life. It's not a big deal. I don't make enough. I don't have enough. I don't, I don't, I don't give. And you see this all the time. Do you know that people statistically, uh, the more money you make, the less you give. You can study the, the giving habits of, of, of the people who have more money. The more you make as your, as your level of living increases, we tend to become less generous because we're too busy spending all of our money on ourselves. I, I don't have enough. Uh, I can't afford to give. I like this one. I'm waiting on getting some money saved up. I'm just waiting, right? Let me, let me teach you a principle. Um, whatever you have right now, um, God can never bring you more until you're faithful with what you currently have. The Bible says when you're faithful in the small things, God can reward you and trust you with what? Bigger things. And here's another principle for you. Here's another. Whatever you currently have, if you're faithful for that, that will be the small thing because God wants to do more in your life. So when you say, I don't have enough, I'm saving up, I'm waiting for a good time, you know, I'm going to do this. No, eventually, eventually, some of you, it's like a pool. You're in the pool, you're like, ah, oh, nah, right, no, I'm not going to go in. How, how, how do you get, how does a man get into the pool, right, or a woman, whatever? How, how do you get into a pool? Anybody know? You don't feel the pool. You go in, you're like, ah, oh, no, right? I'm going to go lay out. If you want to get in a pool, especially on a day where it's cold, right, especially if you're in the Jersey Shore, you want to get in the ocean, you don't go in and just tiptoe your way in the ocean. You just, what do you do? You just run in, right? Hold on to your shorts, your basically, you just run in, right? And so this is how, you can't wait. All these excuses, some of you are like, church people are like, this tithing is Old Testament law, pastor. It's like the only thing you know about the Bible, right? And so, and it just doesn't make sense. It's not, it's not law, it's principle. It's not law, it's an unchanging principle. Like if you go to the very first book of the Bible, Cain and Abel, um, they're brothers, and the Bible says they bring offerings to God. Cain brings his first fruit, or Abel brings his first fruit, whoops, and Cain brings his leftovers. And the Bible says that God accepts Abel's offering as, as righteous and pure, and Cain gets mad and kills his brother. Like it's, it's in the Bible. Like putting God first in, in, in your finances, my money is mine. Some of you, just, you're just, just real honest. I can do whatever I want. I, I, and here's the problem. When you take responsibility in your life where God is supposed to be your provider, the one in control, oftentimes the results are devastating. Let me give you another thought on that, on that line. Number two, um, he'll sit back, Satan, give you excuses, and then he'll sit back and he'll enjoy the grief that you live with in your life. He'll, he'll, he'll enjoy the stress. What do you think when they ask married couples, what's the number one thing you fight about? What is it? Anybody know? Right, money. 
sex, money. We'll talk about that a couple, couple weeks. And so um, the majority of married couples fight over money. Money is security. Money is happiness. Never enough money is security. Money is happiness. They stress out. They fight. There's never enough. There, there's grief there. There's worry. Um, let's just not even talk about married people. They, they polled Americans, 72% of them. They said, what's the number one thing you worry about? What's the number one thing people worry about? Money. We worry so much about our money. Sometimes we choose, we choose um, like they, they poll people, do you always go to the doctor when I can afford it? Like I got to make sure I can pay my, my bills. Like you go to the doctor sometimes, but I got to make sure I can pay my $900 car bill first. Got to have that brand new car. It, it, it does validate my success. People see it, they think I'm amazing. Even though rich people, millionaires often drive old cars. I don't know if you knew that. Because they're actually smart with their money, but that's a whole other sermon. And so... And he loves to plague us with griefs. He loves when you come in this place and you're all stressed out. I start talking to you about money. You're all worried. You're, you're, you're feeling the weight of it. The grief. In fact, watch what Scripture says, 1 Timothy 6. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Let me just stop. Does it say, that, does it say money's evil? Anybody see that? Is money evil? Come on, you got? No, it's not. Some of you, because you're like, yeah, rich people, right? That 1%, right? Right? No, you're jealous. That's the problem. And so work harder. And so anyway, it's just sermon you can't make money if you sleep in every day and so um but the love of money not not money money's neutral it's the love of money the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many many griefs he loves to sit back and watch you even here's why here's why he loves to watch it you're stressed right now about money because you're afraid you're afraid let's just own it because specifically in this area, don't trust God. That's it. Because when you trust God, fear and worry and anxiety go, do you think God is in heaven going, yeah, I'm glad they're worried about money all the time? The only reason you're worried about money is because you live in fear that you won't have enough. You have a poverty mindset. And the only reason you live in fear is because you don't trust God. Because when you trust God, you become untouchable in this area. In fact, watch what scripture says, Hebrews 13, keep your lives free from the love of money. It doesn't say keep your lives free from money. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. We say that all the time. Do you actually believe that? Does it say sometimes I'll leave you? It's going to get bad. I'm going to check out right there. It says never in any situation, no matter how grim it gets, no matter how dark it is, no matter how big the need is, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So in that moment, you can say with confidence, the Lord's my helper, I will not be afraid. I love this. What can mere mortals do to me? And I'm talking about mortals. Sometimes it's people, sometimes it's stuff. You ever have one of those seasons? I've been in one of those seasons. My cars, one of my cars, I have three cars because Carter has a third car, and, or his, his car is in my driveway now. One of my cars has been broken down this entire year. Literally, my car is literally living at the mechanic shop right now. One, at, you ever been there, you're like, again? Again? Again, me and my mechanic are BFFs right now, right? And so, my water broke one day. I woke up a few weeks ago. My water was squirting out out of the, out of the downstairs, not where it's supposed to go. Water broke, got to pay for that. Kids sick, got to pay for that. Wife sick, got to pay for that. Something is going wrong. You ever been in one of those seasons where it rains, it does what? But in those seasons, you got to remind yourself, what can mere mortals do to me? 
I, I, trust, I trust God. In fact, there's a scripture that I love in, in, in Isaiah 26. It says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. You will keep in perfect peace. He loves the fact that you are stressed out right now. That's not from God. That's from Satan. He loves the grief. Let me just give you a few more. Number, number three, not only does he love grief, but if he works you down, down enough the line or maybe the other side, he loves then to load you up with guilt. So let me, let me give you a little, a little, little insight. Okay, so I'm, I always want to be honest with you. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, like, I believe in honesty. Anybody else? And so when I say to you, um, we need kids workers, I didn't come up here and say, you know, you should go pray about it and... You know, if the Lord leads you, I was like, no, no, we're not doing that crap here. Like, we, we're not going to pray. We're just, we're going to do it because the Lord already told us to do it. And so we need, we need 100 kids workers. If you drop your kid off in there, you should probably be serving back there. Is that, is that, is that honest enough for you? No? Okay. Too honest? Okay. I, I believe honesty is the best policy. So let me give you some more honesty. We're not doing this sermon series because we need your money. It's just not. It's just not. Like in 2008 and 2009, I used to open up the Bible and be like, okay, God, how can I beat somebody up to make sure their wallet, maybe the wallet will just fall open and money will just fall into the offering plate. And so I'm going to beat everybody up and yell at people and tell them they need to give and tell them they're not doing what God is calling them to do and tell them they're going to be cursed, right, and all these things, and then they'll give more. And here's what would happen. We would see a little bit of momentum and fall back because guilt is never a great motivator for heart change. Satan loves guilt. Satan loves, you're going to listen to this sermon, He's going to get you into grief. You're going to be worried about money. And then he's going to talk about giving. You're like, you can't even pay your bills right now. And now he's talking about giving and I can't do all that. And he's going to cause all sorts of grief and all sorts of stress and pile that on. And then as you're walking through those back doors, he's going to say, and you should feel like crap about yourself. You should feel awful about what you do. You say you're a follower of Jesus and you don't even, you trust him with eternity, but you can't even trust him with money. Ha! And he. The goal of church is never that you walk out of this place that you feel bad. Sometimes you get convicted. You know what conviction is? Conviction is the kindness of the Holy Spirit saying, I got something better for you. The goal of this is not guilt. In, in fact, the goal of this is to open up the lid or get you into the promises of God, the principles of God. To get you in position where God's able to bless your life. Like, there's things God wants to get into your life that, honestly, he can't send to you right now because there's a lid. And it actually, he's broken hearted over it, not the other way around. Like, we sang that song about how he's a provider. Did you get that song? Um, that's straight out of the Bible. It's not like somebody wrote that. They literally stole out of the Bible and put that on to music. It's right out of the book of Matthew, the, the Sermon on the Mount, where... He talks about how God's a provider. He takes care of the birds. He takes care of the lilies. He's going to meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory. And as you sing, sing through that song and you think through that, that, that concept, like I need you to understand, I truly believe there's things God wants to bring into my life and your life that sometimes we don't position ourselves like we're supposed to, and it actually hurts him more. It, it hurts God, not the other way around. And so let me give you an example. Uh, I'm a father. Any other fathers here? Fathers, fathers, how many of you ever had to do something, fathers or mothers, that hurts you more than it hurt your kids? Remember when your parent used to say that when they were spanking you? <laughs> this hurts me more than it hurts you. Well, let me see your palm because it's, this is a lot redder than your palm right now, right? <laughs> right? 
Remember that uh, old school? Like, and so parents say that sometimes they say, and I, as a parent now, I've, I've realized that through, through life. Like there's times where I have to do something and it actually, it's, it hurts me more than it hurts my kid. And so I remember uh, when Carter was, I think four or five years old, he had a birthday party and I was trying to teach him about gratitude, right? And uh, so I, I told him before the birthday party, some, my, my parents were coming over, some aunts and uncles some, some, uh, were coming over. And I said, hey, when somebody gets you a present, don't act like the Tasmanian devil and just rip through all the presents. When you open a present, stop, look at the person who got it for you when you realize it, and say these words. Ready for these words? They're, they're like, say thank you. Thank you for the blank. Thank you for this. I said, listen, if you don't do this, I need you to understand what's going to happen. As your father, I love you, and I know what gratitude does in your life, having this conversation with a five-year-old. And I said, if you don't do this, and just so you know, some of you are like, this is, I'm really impressed with your parenting skills. This was Leah's idea. I was just the, the messenger, right? And so she's the parent. She's a really good parent. And she, we, I said, if you don't do this, um, we are going to have to return all your presents. You have to say thank you. So he gets there, he's five years old, he rips all the presents open, he's like Tasmanian devil, and so he's ripping them open, he's going from one thing to the next. We bought him a pair of basketball shoes from Ross, his first pair of Nike basketball shoes, they were from Ross though, and so, you know, and he puts them on, he's running around, he goes to the next thing, opens it up, he goes to all these things, party ends, he never says a word. Oh, my heart. He's bouncing around our house, he's running off walls, he's got his basketball shoes on, he's, he's, and he's so excited, and I had to sit him down when everybody left and say, hey bud, you didn't say thank you, um, so tomorrow we got to return all your presents. Now, how many of you think that I hurt more than him? I, I, we w literally went to Ross. He was in the car, and me and him walked into Ross, and we returned his Nike shoes, and I said, maybe next time, bud. And now I think about it. I'm like, man, you were a jerk. <laughs> but when you, listen, when you have a principle and you don't follow through with the principle, right, with the promise, principle, the promise and the principle, you lose credibility with your kids. There's principles in Scripture that are connected to the promises of God, and you can't get them until you follow through with what God has called you to do. And it actually hurts God more than it's hurting you. He has things, he has business things, he has he has marriage things, he has, he has school things, he has opportunities, he has thoughts, he has ideas, he has things he wants to get to you. He's the God who owns everything, but he can't get it to you because you won't follow what he said. And that, gives, that takes me to my last one, as number four. Um, Satan loves, he gets, you, he gets you with the excuses, right, the, the grounds. He, he gets you some, gr some grief and some guilt and, and, and it gets you all worked over and then ultimately you leave this place and because all those emotions are going on, you're not in tune with the scripture, with the, with the, with the spirit of God and ultimately he gets to watch your life stay, stay stuck. You stay glued. You, you can't move into what God has called you to move in and I, I gotta be honest with you, this is one of the hardest things for me because uh, I, I know people, I'm, I'm a pastor, I've been doing this for a long time and some people figure this out. They figure this out in their business um, they figure this out in their family life. They figure this out with their kids. They figure out it's more blessed to give than receive. And you, you have the privilege of watching God do things in their life. Like I, I know people that have businesses that have said, I'm going to put God first in my finances. And their business has outgrown their, their wisdom. It's outgrown their smart. Like their business is not because of them. It's only because of God. But he's trusted them. They've trusted them. And I've also seen on the flip side, I've seen people struggle. It's not a money thing. 
they struggle. Their family struggles. Um, it's like there's always a struggle, yet every time they hear about, okay, well, maybe you should try a different technique. Maybe you should be given. It's always, they're always afraid. They always have excuses. They always, and, and you watch them, and they just stay stuck. In fact, it's a principle in Scripture. It's a principle. And all of Scripture, all of it, is God-breathed. Every promise in Scripture is yes and amen. That's what Scripture says. And so watch what it says in Scripture. I love this verse. It's so telling. It's so truthful. It's so, it's so right. Watch. It says, Proverbs 11, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. One person, they get this, and they start to give, yet they gain even more because open hand, open heaven. Watch what the Bible says, though. It says another withholds, and it comes to poverty. It doesn't say they start at a different spot. It's almost like they start at the same spot. One person gives, yet has more. One person withholds, right? Yet comes to poverty. A generous person will do what? Anybody see that? Well, what? I, love, I want that. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others. With, I don't know if you ever experienced this. Have you ever given something away? Maybe at Christmas you were like, you know what? I'm going to give something away. Or maybe you bought somebody's uh, a, a lunch at Wawa or you did something. And you walk out and you actually feel better. Like you're poor, but you feel better, right? You don't have as much. The Bible says, it says, when you refresh others, you yourself become what? Refreshed. Like he, he, he loves when you don't get this because, listen, you stay glued. You can't have his promises until you handle his prosperity. Over and over and over again, Proverbs 3 says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then, honor first then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now I know that's not relevant today. Same principle though. Honor the Lord first and then he can do what he's supposed to do and called to do. 2 Corinthians 9 says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap what? It's, it's like some of you are like, no, oh, wasn't there like a curve? <laughs> right? You ever been given something by, by a teacher and you're like, yeah, I'm probably not going to pass that test, but I'm hoping for a classroom curve. Like th this, is, this is just the principles of God. There is no way around them. You don't have to do them. Let me be honest. You can keep your money. Nobody knows how you handle your money. Nobody's checking your tithing records. I don't believe in that because I don't want to play favorites in this church. Nope, nobody, it's just you and God. But you can't have what he wants you to have unless you follow his directions. We're about to start these new rooms. Let me just give you one more example. These new rooms, and we go online and we buy all these cool toys. Me, like I'll show Lynn stuff, and she'll get stuff, and then she'll show me stuff. And, and we get to buy all these cool toys and these cool, this cool furniture, and it comes in. And when you look at the picture, it's all together. But do you think it ever comes together? Oh, my gosh. I have been in tears a few times over the last few weeks. I'm having night sweats because I remember just a year ago doing it in the, the wing over here, putting everything together piece by piece. Put that little screw in, goes in the hole, you, you tighten it, right? It's, it's, it's awful. Like it takes longer to open things up than it does to put them together. And if I just look at it in the box, take it out and try to put it together without the instructions, what happens? It's there. It's there to have. It's there to be, to be a blessing. It's there to be put together. But I got to follow the instruction. I'm telling you, this is not hard. It's significant. It's life-changing. It'll take the lid off of your life. We're not doing this series because we need your money. I'm doing this series because I'm your pastor. I'm supposed to shepherd you and teach you truth. 
And we can't talk about the whole Bible if we don't talk about money and stuff and possessions. So would you do me a favor? Would you stand to your feet all over this house? And would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes all over Montgomeryville? Would you just close your eyes there? And I, I just, like, we're going to, we started. We built a foundation, right? So here, here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to ask the Spirit of God um, to speak clearly through, through, through his word. And so if you're feeling um, grief, that's not from God. If you're feeling guilt, that's not from God. Those, those, those are not from God. If you're hearing excuses, listen to me. Not from God. God only speaks truth. So all those, all those things, Spirit of God, would you speak to me clearly? Maybe you're feeling conviction, that's good. That's God telling you he has more for you. Maybe you never knew about this and you're just saying, hey God, thank you for this journey that you've taken me on and this is just my next step. One person used to say, um, the first thing to get saved what was, your, was, your, was your heart, your, your, yourself. The hardest thing to get saved is your wallet. It's easy, it's easy to trust God for your eternity. It's so far away. It's really difficult with that treasure, with that temporary, with your stuff, with what you think you've worked so hard from sometimes what you mistakenly call mine. It's hard to trust God there. But I promise you, many times in life that you have to take a step of faith. Faith is oftentimes something you do when you're afraid, something you do when you don't have all the answers, something you do when it's, the plan's not all figured out, something you do when something doesn't make sense. That's faith. So God, I'm going to begin to follow you. And, 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 and this week, maybe, maybe there is literally no action that you even take because some of you don't even know what to do next. We haven't talked about it. So some of you are, are go-getters. You're going get to get a Bible app. You're going to go get the book, The Blessed Life. You're going to start reading. But some of you, you're just going to say to God, God, I'm going to commit to be here for the next four weeks. That's it. God, I'm going to commit to that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to your word. I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to let you guide. I'm going to let you direct me. You're a good father. I can trust you. I know you love me. And some of you, you're going to answer that question. Do you really trust him? Do you really think he's a good father? Do you really believe in the passage that it says he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you? Some of you, you need to go home and you need to figure out what that last song that we sang was. It's, it's by Elevation Church. Uh, I think, I don't even know what the name of it is. And I think it just, no, it's not Elevation, sorry. Keep your eyes, your heads bowed for a second. <laughs> it's passion, that's what it is, passion worship. We will put it online and you just need to listen. You need to listen on repeat to that song, the promises of scripture. He's the God that provides. He's the God that never leaves me. He takes care of the lilies. He takes care of the sparrows. If his eyes are on them, his eyes will never leave me. You need to proclaim that over your business, over your family, over your finances, over, over your school, whatever you're in charge of, whatever you lead, I'm going to proclaim that. I'm going to pro proclaim that over this church. You're the God that provides everything that we need. You can do immeasurably more we can ever ask, dream, or imagine. We can trust you. And as you're in that moment and you're praying and you're talking to God and you're letting the Spirit do your work, just so you know, this is the most important time of, of, of church because um, this is when the Holy Spirit begins to, 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 to speak clearly to people, I think. Maybe you're in this place and as we close, you would say, you know what, I don't have a relationship with God. That's actually what this is all about. 
We have a real relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. We have that relationship, not because we're good people, but because we're products of the grace of God that we found at the foot of the cross. Jesus Christ came to this earth and he sacrificed. He allowed himself to be put on a cross. He, he died for us. He shed his blood as a payment for our sins, past, present, and future. They took his body. He was fully dead. They placed him in a tomb. And the Bible says that on the third day, he rose in power. And when he rose in power, he defeated both death, sin, and hell. And now it's through him that everyone can confess and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. That Jesus, the name above all names, the name by which all men and women may be saved. That when you call to him, he'll answer. I'm going to confess with my mouth and believe in my heart. And when you do that, you begin a relationship with God. The Bible says this God is like a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The Bible says that God is a good shepherd. He's a, a father. He loves you. He sees you. He knows you. He cares for you. He has a purpose and a plan for you. And you begin to start a real relationship. And here's the thing. When you get that right, everything changes in your life. But until you get that right, everything will continue to fall apart. Everything is built on Jesus. Every relationship, every career, every amount of success, everything is filtered through the truth of Jesus Christ. It starts there. So here we are, end of our service. We're going to pray together. And maybe you would say, the Spirit of God is knocking at the door of my heart. I know it's a weird sermon to get saved in, right? Talk about money. But the truth is that everything, everything comes back to Jesus. Get this, every penny that was given last week to this church was used in the hopes that you would be in the seat that you were in right now so that you could experience the gospel, the grace, the love, and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Everything. That God knew you. He knows the seat you were going to be in. He knew the Sunday you were going to come. This is the perfect day to turn your life around. So Jesus Christ, would you meet me right here? If you're in this place, you don't know him. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Front to back, side to side, Montgomeryville. I don't know Jesus Christ, but I need to. I need to put my faith and my trust in him. You talked about how I can trust him. I didn't know I could trust anybody. I felt all alone. I didn't know that he was going to stick closer than a brother. I believe he's real. I feel him knocking at the door of my heart. I don't even know what to do next, but I know I need a change. I know I need Jesus Christ right now. Would you respond all over this place? If that's you, as God is speaking to you, the Holy Spirit is knocking at the door of your heart. You say, Pastor Steve, that's me. I need Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Would you respond all over this place by shooting your hand straight towards heaven and say, hey, that's me. That's me. I need Jesus Christ to heal me. I need him to forgive me. I need him to make me whole. Maybe you're in Montgomeryville. And you say, Pastor, that's me. I need Jesus to heal me, forgive me, and make me whole. Yes, I see a hand over here. Is there anybody else? We get just as excited about one than we do about 100. Amen? The Bible says when you have 99 or 100 sheep and you count 99 and you're missing one, that the, the Bible says that the good shepherd goes after the one. So even, even with one person responding, we get excited and we, and we rejoice. All of heaven stops to rejoice right now, the Bible says. So if you raise your hand or maybe you didn't, maybe you would pray something like this. Would you repeat after me? Say, Jesus Christ, today I put all of my trust and my faith in you. I believe you died for me. Through your death, I'm forgiven, I'm healed, and I'm made whole. Thank you, Jesus 
that because of your resurrection, I'm a brand new person. I'm a brand new creation. When I leave this place, what was true of me when I got here is no longer true of me. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. And before we say amen, just all over this place, why don't you just, Holy Spirit, right now, do a work. Do a work. Next five weeks, do a work. Do, do something in, in my life, God. Um, thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you that you're a promise-keeping God. Thank you, Lord, uh, that, that, that you do exactly what you say you're going to do in Scripture. Our job is just to learn. Sometimes we overcomplicate it. We, we, we're waiting to hear on you, and you've spoken through thousands of pages of Scripture. We're waiting on your will. We need to understand that your will will never contradict your word. So we're just going to lean on your word. And we believe when we lean on your word that your spirit will work. The Bible says when we speak your word, it never returns void. Thank you in advance for how you're going to work in this church, in our lives, in businesses, at schools. Lord, in every area of our life, Lord, the Bible calls us to live a blessed life. A life filled with supernatural power. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for all that you've done here today. In Jesus' name we pray. All over this house. One more time. Would you shout amen? amen? Let's clap together one more time. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.